us, Lord, we give you our, our lives. Father, as we surrender to you and as we lift up to you our praise, Lord, we trust that it was pleasing to you. Lord God, we pray that today you would be magnified in our midst. We ask that today, Lord God, that you would speak to our hearts now that we open our Bibles. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to open up our understanding, our eyes, our ears. We ask that today, Lord, you would make a personal application of your word to each and every life. For it's in your name we pray, and together we'd say, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Is this coming through or doing okay? I have to apologize as we get started. Uh, I, I don't have much of a voice, but I've got a pocket full of lozenges. Last night was the, uh, the couple's Valentine's dinner, and, and um, I hosted. They played a little game of the newlywed game. Uh, I don't want to say I was the host. I was the referee. Uh, we're going to uh, start marriage counseling classes tonight. Uh, but I am not going to preach on gluttony today because I'd be the first one at the altar repenting. It was a great night. We have a lot of great opportunities for you to be involved in the church. We hope that you would take part of one of those. Sunday mornings, we're setting our way through the Word of God. We're in the Old Testament book of 2 Kings. Now, you'll recall that First and Second Kings corresponds with First and Second Chronicles. The, the Kings um, gives us a look at Israel and Judah from kind of a historical viewpoint. The Chronicles looks at the same events, the same kings, the same people, in more of a spiritual, more of the godly sense. And so we've been going back and forth through both of them, but our text is actually Second uh, Kings chapters 18 and 19, but I'm going to ask you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 31 because the the information in second kings 18 and 19 is covered in one portion of the of the chapter of second chronicles and it gives us god's viewpoint of this so turn with me to second chronicles 32 and as you're doing that if you're with us and don't have a bible and like to follow along with us we do have some bibles available at the front and the back of the church you're welcome to use those you're welcome to keep those if you don't have a bible so uh we invite you to study along with us as you're opening your bibles there to second chronicles chapter 31 let me just bring you up to where we are in the history of judah we saw that that israel israel is now a divided nation after king solomon the nation went through a very hard time they split into two kingdoms. We have the northern kingdoms of ten of the tribes that known as Israel. They had their own kings. They had their own armies. They, had, they were their own nation. Then we saw the two and a half tribes uh, of the south known as Judah. Now, in their history, they, were all, they, they fell away from God. They would go in this vicious cycle of, of falling into idol worship and doing these things. And God would send a rebuke. Some of them would turn around, sometimes they'd repent, sometimes they wouldn't. Uh, but where we are in our history lesson now of this is Israel is now defunct. They're no longer a nation. They've been dispersed. And uh, Judah is still hanging in there. We saw that, that Judah had a very bad, wicked king. And they were almost on the verge of, of losing their nation when a new king came about. His name was Hezekiah. We saw him last week. We met him. The greatest king other than David, the Bible says, is Hezekiah. 
We saw last week that he brought these great reforms. He opened up the temple. His dad had closed the temple. His dad had had stripped the temple bare. And they just used it as a a junkyard, as a a trash heap. And we saw last week that he opened the temple. They moved all the rubbish, all the garbage out. They reinstituted worshiping God. They got rid of all of the idols that were set up around the cities and around the nation. They turned the nation back to worshiping the great Jehovah. And God was doing great things. So let's read chapter 31 verse 21 the last verse of of chapter 31 and then we'll get into our text chapter 32 you guys with me all right it says and in every work that he this being hezekiah began in the service of the house of god in the law and the word of god and in the commandments in the word of god to seek his god he did it notice this please here's a key to to our uh, relationship with god he did it with all of his heart and look at the result of that and so he prospered we saw that not only he as an individual prospered he his kingship prospered the nation prospered the worshiping prospering everything he did because he sought god with a pure heart he put god first of all just like um, matthew six thirty three tells us to do you know seek god and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. He put God first. He elevated God to where God was supposed to be, and everything prospered, right? Things were going great. You guys want to live a life of prosperity? I know you're thinking, he's been watching Christian TV. He's going crazy. No. Because Christian TV won't read verse 1 of chapter 32, and it's a very real situation. Let's talk about it. Let's begin our reading, Second Chronicles 32, verse 1. After these deeds of faithfulness, what deeds? Well, everything we've been studying the last couple of weeks, all the reforms that he made, bringing people back to God, bringing God back to the people, restoring the temple, restoring the priesthood, restoring the sacrifices, everything that he did, all these acts of faithfulness. Would you please notice that serving God is an act of faithfulness, right? We had a, a men's meeting Saturday morning. The men were just pigs Saturday. We ate more food Saturday morning and more food Saturday night. And I don't apologize. And obviously I don't exercise. So we ate a lot of food Saturday. But we had a great Bible study and Bill was, te- was teaching on how do we seek the Lord? If you just, we, we throw that term around, seek God. How do you seek God? And it was a great study. Uh, I, I didn't record it. But it was a good study. I talked to Bill about it. There's a, there's a lot more to it than just attending church Sunday morning. Seeking God is a 24-7 thing. Why? Because God's a 24-7 God, right? And so, uh, friends, let me be pretty blunt because I might lose my voice, so I've got to offend you early. If your relationship with God is only an hour on Sunday, your relationship needs help. Right, your marriage relationship won't won't last one hour a week. Well, <laughs> maybe never. No, <laughs> joke. Just trying to lighten the mood. But you guys see what I'm saying? You know, he Hezekiah sought God faithfully all the time. He put God in the preeminence where God is supposed to be, and everything worked out. But here's where it gets. Let, let, let's get honest here. Look what happens. We're still in verse one. So because of that, after these things. Shenacrib, the king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. Friends, if you're taking notes, here's the first note or first point that you can 
you can trust God on is that whenever a revival from heaven comes, expect the hordes of hell to follow. We all pray and we want revival. You know who doesn't want revival? Satan. And friends, it's not unusual in our Christian walk uh, for church as a body, for an individual as an individual, for a family. Whenever we get serious about seeking God, whenever we decide we're going to serve God, we're going to follow God, we're going we're to live the way God wants us, it's not unusual for Satan to attack. Right? You know what one of the strongest, strongest tools that the enemy has for us? It's a little thing called discouragement. Right? Discouragement. Fear's a bad one. There's a lot of things that the enemy throws at us, but friends, please understand, it's not because you're, you're sinning. It could be because you're doing something right. When you give your heart to the, the Lord and surrender your life to God, don't expect hell to stand up and give you an applause. Right? So attacks will come. He's getting the nation back with God. Here comes Sennacherib. Now, they've already destroyed Israel. They've been destroying all the... They're, they're the power of the world at this point. They're just absorbing all these nations. And now they're coming after Judah. But we learned some good things here. Look in verse 2. It says, And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come, and his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brooks that ran throughout the land, saying, Why should the king of Assyria come and find much water? Please notice this here. Uh, number one, Hezekiah knew what Sennacherib was doing. He knew what their procedure was in war. The New Testament tells us that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Now, friends, sometimes we are. Right? When the enemy starts throwing things at us, Sometimes we think, well, this is God. It could just be Satan. And so he does something to prevent the siege from happening. Now, it was the common custom when they would besiege a city is they would cut off all water supplies and all food supplies. Jerusalem was a very green, lush, beautiful, well-producing city. So the, the, the food supply wasn't that big a deal it was very important don't get me wrong but their first issue was to cut off the water now we all know being good desert arizona desert people that we need water just to survive right and so they shut off the water well king hezekiah who was had the wisdom of god says we're going to beat them at their own game why should we allow them to have water if they're trying to cut off our water right and so they go out to stop up all the water and so fast forward to verse 30 with me this is amazing Verse 30 of the same chapter says this, the same Hezekiah also stopped the water outlets of the upper Gion, that's what we're just reading about, but look what they do. And they brought the water by tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. What they did, it was just a great engineering feat. And this is still around today. They tunneled underground through rock 1,777 feet, they brought a tunnel from the spring to bring this living water, right? The spring was producing water into the city, and then they stopped the top of it. Now, we can learn some great spiritual lessons here. The first one is very important, and that is make sure you got the living water flowing into your life. Jesus told the lady at the well, he used this beautiful picture speaking of this water. He said, I'll give you living water. And if you drink of this living water, you'll never thirst again. And then he went into this beautiful teaching. Friends, 
Let me just say very boldly and very confidently, if you're part of our Wednesday night study, we're studying in the book of Acts, so you've heard this just in the last couple of weeks, and that is this. You need the Holy Spirit moving in your life, bringing that living water into your heart and your life and your home. Would you agree with that? Also something we learn here is we need to stop. We need to do whatever we can do to keep the enemy from laying siege to our hearts. Once again, this, this, might, this might cause God to jab you a little bit on the side. But, you know, there are some people who allow things, they participate in things, they do things in their life that's allowing the enemy to crush your, your, your life. Right? He said, we're going to stop the water so that they can't come against us. Okay, this will really upset some people. But some of you might need to turn your computers off. Some of you need to stop going to some certain places, doing certain things, hanging out with certain people. Because all it's doing is allowing the enemy to take a, a hold against you. Does that make sense? Right? So we need to, to, to do what we can to not help the enemy destroy us. Right? Let's keep going here. Uh, so they do all, all that they can, and I have a note here. I got way off on my notes, so let me bring it back here. I wrote down, they did what they could, but realized the final result was up to God. They went out, and they, uh, they, they cut off the water supplies. Look what else they did here, verse 5. And he strengthened himself. He built up the wall that was broken, the defense wall that was broken. He... Uh, raised it up to the towers. He built another wall outside, so it was a double-walled city. He also repaired the milo of the city. That was this great uh, rock staircase thing that, that David had built. In 2005, they uncovered it and started to restore it. It's very awesome. You can still see it. It's called the milo. Uh, he made weapons and shields in abundance. Now, I just wrote next to my Bible, uh, weapons. I wrote the word sh uh, sword. We know that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, right? That is, or we need the Word of God. And shields, in the same portion that tells us the Word of God is our sword, it also tells us that faith is our shield. He made sure he had weapons. He made sure he had shields. Friends, we need that in our life too. Wouldn't you, would, would you agree? And then in verse 6, he set military captains over the people. He gathered them together to the, uh, the open square of the city gate and he gave them encouragement. So he brings this... The, the city together, we learn in Second Kings that they're lining the walls. All the people are out. And he's talking to the people about this pending um, enemy attack. And he gives them encouragement. That is so awesome. Friends, we need to encourage people, not discourage people. We need to build people up, not tear people down. Right? And so it says, here's the encouragement that he gave them. Verse 7. I love this. He tells the people who can, can see and sense the enemy coming around. He tells them, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria. Hey, he's tearing everyone else up. He's taken everyone else captive. He's destroyed all these nations. But you don't fear him. Nor before all the multitudes that is with him. Don't fear this guy. Don't fear his army. Because look at this. This is the encouraging part. For there are more with us than with him. Wait a minute. He's got this massive army. We find out he's got 185,000 soldiers outside. And we just have a city full of farmers. There's more with us 
Elijah, in 2 Kings 6, his servant went out and saw the kings coming against him, and he freaked out. And Elisha, I just love that. He was a calm, cool dude. He didn't get too excited. He says, God opened his eyes. He opened his eyes, and he saw the heavenly multitude. Friends, we have to understand the God factor in our life. Isn't that awesome? He said, there, there's more with us than with him. Got a couple scriptures to put up. Jeremiah 17, 5. Would you put that on the screen, please? Thus says the Lord, cursed, not just, not just, you know, foolish is the man. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. And then would you put up on the screen Isaiah 31, 1 through 3. I might have to walk closer to read that. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Egypt was always a picture of the world. And rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Yet he also is, un, is, yet he also is wise and will bring disaster. It should be unwise. And will not call back his, his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of those who work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men, not God. And the horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, both he who helps will fall and he who is helped will fall down. They will perish together. These two scriptures are telling us the foolishness of depending upon ourself and our own abilities and our own talents, our own strength, and depending upon other people. That part of that other people, that part of Egypt, the part of the horses, we could say it this way. Foolish is the person who's depending upon their government, who's depending upon their military, who's depending upon their money, who's depending upon their education. Friends, none of that's bad. But we got to depend on God. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord. Hezekiah says, yeah, they got a big army. They're pretty intimidating, but we got God. We got God, right? And so he's encouraging them. Verse 8, he tells them this. With him... Shanakrib with, with Assyria is the arm of the flesh. All they, all they got is themselves. Now, they're pretty impressive. Goliath was a pretty impressive rascal, wasn't he? Scared everybody. But all he had was his, his own strength and his own armor. Do you realize that someone had to make glass armor? Who made David's stones? Right? A God's stone can beat the world's armor. Never discount God. No matter what battle you're facing. No matter what giant. No matter how big he is. Friends, we got God. <laughs> that is, that, we might as well stop now because it won't get any better than that. I don't know. He says in verse 8, he says, all, he got, all he's got is his own strength, the arm of the flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Man, they got the message. They're like, yes, we got God. Let's do this. And so, verse 9, after Shanachrib, king of Assyria, sent his servants to Jerusalem. Now, we see, uh, you can read this on your own, but Second Kings 18 and 19 is recording this, and that's where we're recorded that the people are on the walls, and it's a big city hall meeting and all that. And this, 
this guy, this representative and so, soldiers from Shanakrib is a guy um, uh, that came in and is, is, is laying down the, the threat of war. So his guy is there, but Shanakrib himself says, and he and his forces were laid siege against Lachish. So he was 35 miles away. But the king sends his guys there to Hezekiah, king of Judah, and to all Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, here's, here's what the enemy is pronouncing. Thus says Shanakrib, king of Assyria, in what do you trust that you remain under siege in Jerusalem? Now, friends, this is important for us to realize. The first thing we need to realize is we don't trust in a what. We trust in a who. The, the enemy is saying, what do you trust? We've got horses, we've got chariots, we've got shields, we've got arrows, we've got... So, so what do you trust in? Well, we got God. That's what I trust in. It's not a, it's not a what, it's a who. And also notice this, that once again, we learn this from Isaiah and from, from 2 Kings. The siege hasn't started yet, but the enemy speaks as though it has. You see, the enemy will talk to you as if you're already defeated before the battle's begun. Right? The enemy's trying to, to psych you out, freak you out. Says you've already lost, why even bother? Right? Why bother? You're already beat. Well, they were gathering the army. They're intending to, to lay a siege, but they haven't done it yet. But he's already talking as it is. And so he, he says in verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 11, he's still talking to the people. He says, does not Hezekiah persuade you to give yourselves over to die by famine, by thirst, saying, the Lord your God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? All that pep talk the king is telling you about, you really believing that? People will tell you, do you really believe that stuff that preacher's telling you? Now, there's some preachers you shouldn't believe. Hey, speaking of that, not that you shouldn't believe, but as a step of faith, we started the radio ministry back up. Starts this Tuesday, Tuesdays and Thursdays, 4.30 p.m., 10.10 a.m., KXXT, uh, Streetlight goes back on. Uh, our good friend Steve Gregg kind of helped us get that set up they gave us a really good deal uh but we still got to pay for it so keep that in prayer part of our goal you know is to teach the word of god without compromise and without without um uh, apologies and uh so anyway that starts this tuesday uh he says don't believe this message that the king has given you he says verse 12 has not the same hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded judah and jerusalem saying you shall worship before one altar and burn incense on it. Now, friends, we've got to talk about this here. This is very important. He's telling the people what he thinks is happening. He's not understanding what's happening. He's under the, the thought of the world that thought gods were limited to a geographical area. And as the gods got stronger, you would make another altar for them. That's why there were high places and pagan altars all throughout the land, right? That's why God said you got to get rid of them. So his thought was, he's telling you to depend on God, but your God's small because you only got one little house to pray in. Right? Here's the point for you and I, friends. I bet you guys have experienced this. People who don't know anything about God 
are pretty quick to criticize God. Right? And people who have never read the Bible, oh, maybe they've seen a, a scripture taken out of context. But all of a sudden, they're, they're, you know, they can tell you what the Bible says. I've had people tell me, well, God says, this is true. I think I told this story before. I was preaching Towers Joe once, and this, they, I was a very young preacher. I'm still a young preacher, but I was a new preacher. I was a new preacher, and so I'm preaching away, right, kind of scared, because these are bad dudes, right? And, and, all this, and they just stare at you. Kind of like, kind of like Presbyterians. I'm, no, I'm kidding. 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 And one guy raised his hand, and he interrupted me. And so not being an experienced preacher as I should be, I let him talk. Okay, one of the second things they teach you in preacher school is don't let no one talk. You can say amen, but don't answer questions during the sermon. <laughs> so he's, this is a true story. He says, God gave me permission. God wants me to do drugs. I'm like, where's that in the Bible? Because I'm thinking, I missed something. Well, he quotes out of the book of Genesis where uh, Abraham is releasing his his servant, and he says, may God grant you good speed. (laughs) True story. Friends, that's an example of taking the scripture out of context. Right? If you wouldn't want bad speed. This guy doesn't know anything about Jehovah, and he's telling the people how Jehovah's going to be acting and what's going on, right? right? So, friends, that's why it's important that we know God for ourselves. We have a personal relationship with God. That's why we're studying the Word of God. Because, friends, once again, I'm not a doom and gloomer, but I'm a truther. And the truth is that there will be times in, in your spiritual walk and your relationship with God that the enemy will try to lay siege on you. And, friends, you got to know the faithfulness of God in siege times. we got to know that we've got to strengthen ourselves and, and check our, our walls and our tower, right? we got to be ready because I, I don't care what some of the big media preachers tell you, there will be... There will be times of dryness in your life. We all go through seasons. And sometimes the season is summer. But sometimes it's spring and fall, winter, right? So anyway, let's go back. He, he's telling the people these false things about Jehovah. And he's, he's encouraging them to not believe the king, not to trust God. Verse 13, he says, Do you not know? What I and my fathers have done to all the people of other lands, they did know. These guys were, were, you know what the Assyrians would do? They were very cruel and mean people. They would skin their captives alive. Yeah, alive. They would, they would if, if a woman was pregnant, they would slice her open and take the baby out and, and, and let them die. They would, I can keep going. You want to know what else they did? I can keep going. They were cruel, horrible people. And you know where their capital was? Nineveh. Could that be why Jonah didn't want to go there? Probably was. They were horrible people. But how many of you know horrible people need God just as much as good people? Right? 
Clay's got to check himself sometimes because sometimes I see what's going on in the world and I'm like, God, smite him. And, and, and that's wrong, friends. We should pray, God, get them, but get them with the Holy Spirit, change their hearts and their lives because they're deceived. Anyway, let's keep going. They were, they were a horrible, mean people. And so he says, do you not know what we did to all the other lands that tried to resist us? They did know. Verse 15, now, therefore, do not let he- Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this. I got to stop there because uh, this is important. He's telling the people there who's facing this trouble, hey, don't let, don't let this man of God deceive you with what he's telling you. Now, friends, we need to be, be careful because the truth is the other side deceives. And we need to be very careful even in churches. Got a scripture for the overhead, please. Ephesians 4.14 and Ephesians 5.6 gives you and I this warning. It says that we should no longer be children. In other words, we're being encouraged by the Apostle Paul to grow up spiritually, to mature spiritually in our walk with God. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. There's a lot of goofy winds of doctrine going on in our world today. Friends, it's, it's scary what people will believe because someone with, with the, the word Rev is in front of their name or the word doctor is behind their name, right? It, there's some crazy stuff going on. I mean, insane. Every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of what's that? Deceitful plotting. There's deceit going on. But it wasn't by Hezekiah. It was by Shanak. And then 5, 6 says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, what? These empty words, the deception that's going on in people's lives. The wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Friends, why does Pastor Clay encourage you guys to read the Bible for yourself every day, every day, every day? So that we won't get caught up in this. I'm a man, I'm... I'm I, I can make mistakes. I try very hard, and I'm very diligent in my studies, but I'm still a man. That's why I encourage you guys to read the Bible and seek God yourself because there's some deception going on. So let's go back to our our part here. We're actually pretty close to done, (laughs) he says in a deceptive tone. Soon 15, we'll start 15 again. Now therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or persuade you like this, and do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand and the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you from my hand? That was true, and it's still true today. Friends, if you're looking for anybody to help deliver you from whatever prison you're in, whatever situation you're in, whatever seas you're under, If you're looking at a man, if you're looking to a false god, they can't help you. Only the great God, Jehovah, through his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of this Bible that we're talking about, that's where our freedom comes from. That's where healing comes from. That's where our hope comes from. It's all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, his servants spoke against the Lord and against his servant, Hezekiah. Man, the world loves to, to trash God. And friends, if you're a Christian, be ready because your stand for God will bring you criticism too, right? I got some really good advice as a, as a young preacher um, 
Ron Hembry, who helped me out greatly. You'll meet him in heaven. Uh, great guy. He told me one time, he says, Clay, you know, as, as a minister of God and as a Christian, we, we all need this. He says, you've you got to have a soft heart, but you've got to have thick skin. And that's true. People start, start dogging you, man. They'll start smack-talking you just because of your relationship with God. Verse 17. He also wrote letters to revile the Lord God of Israel and to speak against him. This was the formal declaration of war here. Keep that in mind because we're going to talk more about that after verse 19. So he writes these letters. Uh, he says, As the gods of nation of other lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. He's making a declaration there. We're going to war, and your God can't do anything about it. Verse 18. Then they cried out with a loud voice in Hebrew. This is important. In Hebrew, to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten them and to trouble them that they might take the city. And they spoke against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, the work of men's hands. Let's talk about this. Why did... The Bible tell us that these the Assyrians spoke in Hebrew. Uh, Aramaic was the official language of political business and stuff in that part of the world. They spoke in Aramaic. Hebrew was the common language of the people of that day. Sennacherib's guy wanted to make sure that all the people heard his threats. Here's the spiritual point. The language of the world is different than the language of the church. Now bear with me here. The language of the world speaks as this guy speaks. That is doubt, discouragement, try to get you into fear, to tell you that God can't help you. The language of the world is horrible. What's the language of God? It's the language of faith, trust in God. You know, in, in Mark 16, we're told that these signs shall follow believers, and it lays down these, these great things that will happen. And one of the things it says, they will speak with new tongues. Now, we know there's a heavenly language. We know there's this, this prayer language. Uh, but I believe it's also speaking something a little bit else. And that is that we talk differently as Christians. Because now we talk in faith. Now we speak the good things of God. The, the speech of the world is horrible. It's dark. You know, this is crazy. We'll be doing something or what have you. And there will be a bunch of guys and girls around. And, and people are just talking filthy saying these horrible, nasty words that truck drivers would blush at. Any truck drivers in here? <laughs> I was going to say sailors, but we got sailors all over this. But, 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 I mean, just talking nasty. And then someone will say, Clay's a preacher, and they always go, oh, excuse me. It ain't me you got to worry about offending. I'm from Buckeye. I've heard the words. And I know a lot of them in Spanish. They ask me, are you bilingual? Well, kind of. Can you speak conversational Spanish? Well, Buckeye, I can. But we, we talk different. Why? Because we've got God inside of us. And we speak from the Bible's perspective. That person's helpless and hopeless. Our mind, our mouth is, that person's a mission field. God's got something in store, Right? So our voice is different. Now, I told you, let's turn backward to our text, which is 2 Kings 19. This is very important. Remember, he gave the letters the, the actual declaration of war.
2 Kings 19, verse 14. When you get there, just say amen. Sounds like everyone's there. Let's start reading verse 14. This is the same situation that we're reading about. This is just the king's uh, uh, recording of it. It says verse 14, And Hezekiah received the letters from the hand of the messengers, and he read it. Remember, we just read that he gave those those letters, uh, smack-talking God, smack-talking Jerusalem, smack-talking Hezekiah, uh, declaring war. Look what Hezekiah does, and this is good. This is what we need to do. He went up to the house of the Lord. First thing he did was go to God, not to Facebook, not to Twitter. He goes to God. And he spreads them out before the Lord. He lays them all out there. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, we're to cast our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. He spreads these letters out, verse 15, and Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, and all this kingdom of, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he had sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the king of Assyria has laid waste the nations, their lands. They have cast their gods into the fire, and they, for they were not gods, but they were the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from the hand, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Now, still in 2 Kings 19, drop down to verse 35. This is how God answers a faithful man, a faithful nation, a faithful church that's in trouble. Check it out. This is awesome. And it came to pass on a certain night that an angel, one angel of the Lord, went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. One angel. Those dudes are double tough, right? We, we paint them as little fat naked babies. Uh-uh, these guys are like Rambo angels. I, I don't know about you guys. I don't want my angel to be a little fat naked baby. I want, I want, I want the Rambo angels on my side, right? Some of you are thinking, and this is churchy. 185, one night. And when the people rose early in the morning, there were the corpses. Hey, those people you were afraid of, those people that trying to fear, look at them. Now, we tend to think God is, is, is very morbid. He's not. He's trying to teach us a lesson. When he closed the Red Sea with the children of Israel on the other side looking, the Bible specifically says that they could see the soldiers floating. Why? So that we would know God can take care of that. There's our proof. God can handle it. They went out there and all they saw was this army. And, and, and 185, that's a lot. And they could see them all out there. And it says, so Shanachrib, now remember, he's in Lachish right now. But he gets word of what happened there. He departs and he goes home. And he remained at Nineveh. That's how we know. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrod, his God, that his sons, uh, I'm going to let you read their names because I'm not sure I can pronounce them that well. I'm going to call them uh, Admiral and 
Sheezer. I don't, I'm not sure if that's how you say it. But two of his sons come into where he's praying, and he's probably crying out to his God, you know, how come this happened? His boy struck him down with the sword, and then they escaped into the land of Ararat, and then his other son reigned in his place. Let's go back to Second Chronicles 32, and we're going to wrap this up. We're just about done. In fact, worship team, you can join me up here. That's how close we are. Verse 20 through 23 of, of 2 Chronicles just reports what we just read, so we're just going to read it and then close. It says in verse 20, Now because the king Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 37 records this situation. What it tells us is that while Hezekiah is spreading those letters out and praying, God spoke to Isaiah and says, Hey, go, go talk to the king and tell him it's cool. I got, I got this. Right? How glad are you? That God sends somebody to reassure you. God's got it. Isaiah prayed, Hezekiah prayed, cried out to, to the God of heaven, verse 21. And when the Lord sent an angel who cut down every mighty man of valor, leaders and captains of the camp the king, of the king of Assyria, so he returned shamefaced to his own land. And when he had gone into the temple, some of his own offspring, we saw two of his sons, cut him down with the sword there. Thus the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Shennacherib, the king of Assyria, and from the hand of all others, and guided them on every side. Why? Because they were faithful to God. Because they trusted God even in this looming doom that was around them. They kept their focus on God and not on the army. Right? Uh, and many brought gifts to the Lord at Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted, check this out, in the sight of all the nations thereafter. Because he stood up and he stood for God and God great, gave a great victory. All the other nations that, that uh, Sennacherib hadn't defeated yet but, but were on his radar, they came giving thanks to Hezekiah. And they brought gifts and offerings to the God of Hezekiah and, and to Hezekiah himself. So not only did he save Jerusalem, but he gave God an opportunity to share his great message to a lot of people. Wasn't that a great study? Well, we're going to read more about Hezekiah's life next week, but I'm going to invite you to stand up as we <coughs> close our study time. If you're visiting with us today, we're studying our way through the Word of God, and what we do now is we, we close our study in a prayer. And then we have an altar time where we give you an opportunity to pray. If, if uh, God has been speaking to you, if you have a need in your life, uh, maybe you feel like Jerusalem, maybe you feel like in your personal life that you're being attacked, that, that you're being surrounded, and that the enemy is whispering in your ear that you're not going to make it. Friends, can I just tell you, you're going to make it. Amen. You're going to be all right. You stick with God. He'll take care of it, right? He's got angels if he's got to send an angel. Whatever it is, God will handle it. Amen? Amen? So pray with me, please. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can study it. And Lord, today, as always, Lord, Father, it's not because I don't know what to say. I can talk all day. But it's because it's a sincere prayer. Lord, as that is, would you speak to each and every one of us individually and personally? as we review this chapter in our minds and in our hearts today, Lord, would you make a personal application to us? 
Father, I'm sure that all of us in this room today could could identify with one of, or more characters in, the, in this situation. Lord, we might be acting like the king of Syria, uh, Assyria. And maybe we're being brutal to people. We need to repent and stop. We need to surrender to You. Father, maybe we're like Hezekiah. Maybe we are the leader of our family. And our family is being attacked brutally. Lord, may we understand and realize today that in our prayer closet, you can do more than what we can do standing on our own feet. Not that we don't have responsibilities. We've got to go out and stop, stop those, those, those springs and wells. We, we, know, we know that the farmer has to sow, but you give the grow. So would you help us? Father, whatever our, our place, whatever we're, we're facing, Lord, we look to you. And as Hezekiah spread those horrible letters out in front of you, Lord, we lay in front of you, we lay at the foot of your cross today. Those cares, those anxieties, those hurts, those fears, those things we're going through. And we trust you to bring the answer. Lord, I want to pray that if there's anyone here today who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that through this word today, I pray that you'd open their hearts to grant them to understand their great need for you. And Lord, we trust you now to meet every one of these needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.